Hello everyone and welcome back to the latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is episode 30. Absolutely crazy that we've reached 30 episodes, but here we are. Uh, my name is Ben Jackson. As always, I'll be your host. And once again, I am joined by Scott and Yoris. Scott and Yoris, how are you guys doing today? Good, good. It's good to be back for the big 3-0. Always nice to be here, despite some technical issues last week, this week. I hope everything will be fine. Yeah, glad to be back here. Hopefully we are sounding better and we are performing better than Belgian VAR at least. Yes, yeah, so we had a pretty action-packed weekend of football in the Belgian Pro League, so let me just quickly run through the results. On Friday, we kicked off with Mechelen against Ghent. That finished one all. Erpen then drew 1-1 with Oostend. Massive game at the bottom saw Muscron lose 2-1 to Circle. Faz and Beveren and Charleroi decided to only really start playing in the 87th minute and they drew 1-1. Anderlecht lost 2-0 at home to Kortrijk. Zolta Valagem and Standard Liege had a really, really entertaining game. That finished 3-2 to Zolta. Genk and Beershot played a 2-1 to Beershot. An absolutely stunning goal in that game that I'm sure we'll talk about. Antwerp and St. Luden played out a nil-nil. And then Club Blues beat Leuven 3-0 as of last night, as of recording on Tuesday. Scott, as always, I'll start with you. What was your game of the week? Well, I went to Brussels, my game of the week. Anderlecht nil, Kortrijk 2. Really impressed with Kortrijk this week. Interestingly, I think, probably start by mentioning that was Kortrijk's first win in Brussels against Anderlecht in eight years, which was a start that kind of blew my mind when I first heard that. Then uh, I'll blow your, your mind even more. It's only the second win in history. There from is it the- really? Right. Okay. Well, th- that puts that stat in context, Joris. No, thanks for that. Actually, wild. That's wild, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Kertreich were so impressive in this game, actually. And I want to highlight their efficiency and kind of what they did with the ball. I mean, there was really good intent and structure to the play. I thought their passing and movement was good. And we're starting to see some evidence probably of how Luca Elsner, the new coach there, would, would like them to play. Is this a new identity for Kertreich? I was asking myself, and I think it probably is. What do I mean by efficiency? Well... You know, there's a lot of talk in football about, you know, things like possession and possession football being inherently a good thing, which kind of by and large it is, you know, it, you know, it's not rocket science. You don't have the ball, you can't you can't win games. But Kertrike only had 33% of the possession in this game, which isn't very much, but it's a good lesson in not how much of the ball you've got, but what you actually do with it. So just to give you an example of that sort of efficiency, they had, they created more chances than Anderlecht did. They created three times as many big chances they had more shots on goal and more shots on target with two-thirds less of the ball than Anderlecht did so it really is about what you do with it folks and what they did with it was really really effective Um, they they seemed to be playing with confidence as well there was a looseness about the way they were playing which I thought was kind of quite interesting they've obviously had a chat about just you know expressing themselves you know under their new coach and that's kind of you know nice to see and they they look like a side that actually have been together for a little while I know as a squad they have but it's unusual to see a manager come in and kind of change the playing style slightly and it, it be so identifiable quickly. Really, really good stuff from Kertrike. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up over the next few weeks. Anderlecht, on the other hand, in a word, rudderless, totally rudderless. Marco Illich and the Kertrike goal didn't have a single save to make. I think he only had two punches from crosses in the 90 plus minutes of the game, which gives you an idea of how, how rotten Anderlecht were going forward. Um, had lots of the ball, but did absolutely nothing with it. 
So yeah, well done, well done, Kurtry. Can can have a look forward to checking in with their their next game. They're at home to Zalta at the weekend. Um, so it'll be interested to see if they can carry this on. Yeah, that next game against Zalta should be a, a cracking game, judging by the way the two sides are playing at the moment. Yeah, I've kind of flagged Anderlecht in our notes a bit a little bit later on, but I feel like we're going to have to just bring it in now. And I know Yorish, you've got like an abundance of stats, so I'll get to you in a second. But I kind of put the question of like, what is it about Anderlecht that means they just can't beat the teams below them? So I was just looking back over their results and obviously they beat Genk 1-0. And then after that, let's have a look. They beat Ustend, who were flying high 2-1. Lost to Charleroi, who, yeah, I guess, I think they were probably above them at the time. And then you kind of move on. So they lost 1-0 to Leuven, 2-0 to Erpen, 0-0 against Fazan Bevelin, 1-1 against Musclon, 0-0 against Ghent. And let's keep going. Then they beat Genk again, 2-1, 0-0 against Circle. And then this 2-0 loss to Kortrijk. Like, when they're playing the lesser teams, they really, really struggle. And it's like you said, like, the keeper had absolutely nothing to do in the uh, Kortrijk goal. And it's just a bit ridiculous when you look at a club like Anderlecht to think they aren't creating chances and putting more teams under pressure and I saw I think it was after the game Conga came in for a bit of flack because I think some people in the media were saying that he should be kind of doing more and impacting the play more and he kind of hit back and said but that's not the role I have at the moment is to pass through the lines and get it through the lines but if other players aren't moving and stuff what do you expect me to do so there's some tension there and I also saw another article that kind of said if company wasn't the manager would he have if it wasn't company in charge, would a different manager have been sacked based on what has happened so far this season? Which I think is a bit unfair because that this, the club's in transition, that's for sure. And like it's, we kind of said when he took over, it's a massive, massive job. Like you're not going to fix it in like a little bit of a season in one transfer window. Like it's going to take a lot more time. Yoris, I'll quickly jump over to you just to kind of, yeah run through your stats because there are plenty of them coming back to the company part well obviously that would have been the case because a club of under as the size of underlicht getting like around 50 percent of the points only even company probably only survives it because all the other teams except Klubrigen, are also well not yeah making the best of their season so far apart from that i have some stats of course and indeed there was no shot on goal in not only in these 90 minutes but also like as i touched on last week already against Sterkla. so obviously a big issue there is the scoring we've touched on that already and this is like a bit of a regression because against Beveren, for example, it also ended nil-nil, but they had plenty of shots, both on target and off target, hitting the, the woodwork a few times. This is only a few weeks ago, and now these kind of nil-nils were definitely less well-played games of Anderlecht. It's also the first time in history that against these teams that they don't have any shot on target. There are some more stats more in this season then. It was also the first time they went behind at home. Uh, they kind of have to thank Wellenreuter for that. I don't want to throw too many goalkeepers <laughs> in their buses, but that was really, really bad. And uh, it was also the first loss at home, consequently then. Going outside of Anderlecht, but to Luca Elsner, yeah, he had one other visit to the Anderlecht stadium, which was uh, at his, in his time at Union, where he beat Anderlecht 0-3 in a cup tie with, among others, uh, Percy Tau, of course, and also Selamani, who almost got a nice goal. Like, he would have deserved that. He also made my team of the week. Yeah, because I also needed some quarterback player. And I don't feel like Hano was the right one and to come and get to him. Uh, so Hano did not play or score in more than a year before his recent streak. Now he has got three goals in three games. 
and yeah, you would think he is actually doing a good job with because, well, arguably he's still doing that. But he actually probably should have made around eight given the chances. And then not only the amount, but the yeah, the kind of chances that he missed in these games. But obviously, yeah, still an asset to Kortrijk. I think at this rate, he's soon going to be their top goal scorer, especially with Mboyo not there anymore. What you're saying there was really interesting with some of those underlay stats, Joris, because, I mean, I was highlighting Kurtrike's efficiency. Uh, as I was saying, it's not something that's talked about too much in football circles other than probably on the training ground, actually. But for for everything that Kurtrike did well, Anderlecht having so much more of the ball were so inefficient uh, with it. It's kind of, you know, it's two sides of the of the same thing, actually. Um, and it's just, it's kind of so interesting to hear some of those stats because it does, it touches on what something Ben was hinting at a minute ago around some of the question marks around kind of companies coaching and maybe what it's like to coach a, a, a squad of, of very talented but predominantly quite young players and, and the challenges that go specifically with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, some great points raised there, yours. Also, I've got one more thing about Anderlecht. Uh, now I think of it, like I think the only team they won twice against is Henk, which is no surprise because they, they didn't mark Lokonga appropriately and they let them play uh, because of their own playing style. And against these teams, it seems to work. But against teams that are falling back and leave no room, put a lot of pressure on them, they, they seem to struggle a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, worth highlighting about Anderlecht. You know, they, they, it comes back to Lakonga a wee bit as well, doesn't it, guys? And his role ultimately is to break the lines. And sometimes, you know, they they, they struggle to do that. They completely fail in some games. Um, and they kind of shouldn't with it, with the talent at their disposal. You've still got to find a way if a team have got a low block on you. But just, yeah, they, it just doesn't happen for them sometimes. Yeah, I think for sure there, because like, Lakonga can only do so much. Like it's yeah. it's kind of up to the other players now to kind of help him in being creative as well. Like release kind of like force teams to like mark other players and like give them more space and stuff. Got just to return to you because I know we just want to jump to your player of the week. And you've gone for someone who benefited from a goalkeeping blunder. Yes, yeah, I went for Trent Sainsbury, Kurtrike's uh, 29-year-old Australian centre-back who managed to grab a goal in the game, Kurtrike's first goal, a bit of a gift really, well and Reuter spilled it in the six-yard box and, you know, nobody's going to miss from there. It was a simple tap-in right on right on half-time, uh, so it was a gift. But as, aside from that, his performance was really very solid. That was the second goal in 15 games, really good pass succession rate. I think he was round about the 80% mark. I was watching them quite a lot off the ball uh, as much as possible because that's that's a trick I like to do. It's, it's something uh, you should watch, top tip everybody. One of my top tips anyway uh, is if you like a player, watch watch them off the ball as well because you know what they do when they don't have the ball is equally important. So I was watching him and I thought his communication and just his presence was was really really excellent, and I think he's he's exactly what a side needs when a new coach comes in. Somebody can go, do you know what? I'm going to take some responsibility here, and I'm going to call some of the shots. Yeah, just his communication and presence more than more than anything else. I went for uh, Trent Sainsbury. Could he have gotten a red card in the end, though? True. Could could have. Yeah. So for my game, I've kind of cheated a little bit, and I've taken two because I feel it kind of worked together. So I'll go for the first one on um, which was on Saturday, if I can remember days correctly. Uh, Moose gone against Circle, which was a massive game at the bottom of the Ooh. table. And yeah, there's a reason these two teams are near the bottom because the quality of the football was just dire. I think I tweeted out during the game that Moose gone need to find a way of playing that isn't 
aimlessly lumping the ball at poor old Nuno da Costa, who I don't know what they expected him to do with that ball against Bates and Pavlovic, because there's actually nothing. They get the balls are just all over the place. And I'm kind of going on the mini rant here. This isn't the mini rant I wanted to go about. I've got two mini rants for this episode. Muscon's like, I don't know why they've gone. It's like they've kind of reverted back to a style of play that they were playing before Samal came in, which just is really ineffective. It doesn't create chances. And they just really like struggled to put circle under any sort of pressure. Like Bates and Pavlovich were just winning aerial duels left, right and centre. You could even hear Bates like after like hands up, so hands up to him. He was fantastic in terms of what you said about Trent Sainsbury, Scott, like talking, leadership, all those sort of things in a big game. You could tell he was really, really up for this game and he was like encouraging everyone else. So yeah, Circle take the lead through Ugo, who is becoming arguably the league's best poacher. He just always seems to be in the right spot, the right time to get a little tap in. Ball came back off the bar. He just puts it straight back in. He then comes off and kind of second half, it's just Moose gone, lumping the ball forward. They have like a couple of good chances at the beginning of the second half. They take off um, Shadas, which again, I think was a strange decision because I'm like, he's probably their most creative midfielder. So they take him off and again, nothing really changes. They're just lumping the ball forward. And yeah, Circle are happy just to sit in and take kind of like psych up the pressure uh, until at one point they bring on Kevin Denke to replace Ugbo. Then Muscron are just kind of passing it around the back aimlessly, not lumping it forwards. And Denki just kind of absolutely muscles one of the defenders off the ball. Not a foul, just great strength. Runs a couple of yards, nice few step overs and finishes it off. And at that point, you're like, that's the game really. Like Muscron aren't going to get back into it. To be fair to Muscron, they did get a goal through the shiny head of Lapointe, the bald centre-back, who actually, I thought he actually played, he had quite a decent game for them at the back. I don't think defensively, was defence was kind of an issue for Muscon. It was definitely their attacking play. But yeah, they lose the game 2-1, a game that they really, really needed to win. We've spoken about their schedule that's coming up and it's not looking good, really. Like, there's not many more chances for them to get out of it. I also went for this, in this game, I, t- I took for my player of the week, I t- took Diddley on, goalkeeper for circle. When Muscon did make the rare chance, he was always there to make the saves, uh, made a couple of fantastic saves early in the second half. That just kind of ground Muscon down a little bit more because the the rare times they did make a chance and they couldn't put it in the back of the net just kind of like you could see the confidence draining from the players and you could see the frustration as well starting to kick in like before I go on to Beverly and Charlotte I'll just hand over to you guys did you have anything you wanted to chime in on this one I, I thought it was quite a weird game this actually in the sense that Circle could have had this game won in the first half and, and probably should have, actually. And then second half, Muscon were pretty dire in the first half, but had so much more energy about them in the second and, and decided to have a bit of a go in a way. And the thing that, that I couldn't understand was why Circle kind of decided to retreat so deep and, and seemed happy to defend against them uh, when I felt Muscon were kind of there for the taking in a way. So they were inviting that pressure on. But I think that's symptomatic sometimes of a side whose confidence is a wee bit fragile. No surprise because of the position they're in. But as I was watching it, I was thinking they need to be really careful because they were playing such a dangerous game tactically with that Circle, I thought. Um, I thought they could they could throw away the three points here if they're, if they're not careful. Um, and of course, uh, Van der Bruggen came on, I think, at the midway point in the second half, didn't he, when they realised that they needed a bit more a bit more steel, if you like, in the, in the middle of the park. But a lot of the trouble was coming Circle's way in that second half, I thought, was all self-inflicted. So it was it was an interesting one. Yeah, and I want to highlight Pavlovic in the, at the centre-back. Yeah, Circle, since he did have a really good game in a yeah, 
most of the danger if if it got through did the got it but he didn't let go many things through so that that made them despite falling back made them win this game yeah he's been good since he came in okay. yeah definitely a good loan signing for them there and um yeah, they really needed those points, which then kind of put pressure on the next game, which was Beveren against Charleroi. And yeah, as I kind of said in the intro, we didn't see any goals in this one until the 87th minute when uh, Beveren took the lead through um, Bukatik. And yeah, Beveren was so much better than Charleroi in this game. Charleroi, this was probably the worst Charleroi performance I've seen this season. They just, when you look at the players they've got, like especially on the wings, look at Golazadze and Fal, I always feel like that's there's some energy there. There's some like kind of desire to win that you get from these two players, especially like the fight that they show. But even they weren't really on it during the game. Nicholson didn't really get up so much up front. Like Beveren really, really took the game to them. I thought Koita was excellent um, throughout. Felix Bastians as well played really, really well. Kind of operating as like left back, but also kind of left of the back three that they were playing. But I do have to say the equaliser for Charleroi before Beershot versus Genk, I think I told this like one of the, my goal of the season. It was fantastic strike from Bruno. Like the technique is excellent. And if you if you haven't seen it, go check it out. I think it's on the Shallower um YouTube channel. So you can find the highlights there. But fantastic, fantastic volley uh, into the top corner. Great technique out of nowhere as well. And I think Musclon fans breathed a massive sigh of relief when that went in because if everyone had won, that was it was just compounding their misery even more. So yeah, interesting game. One thing I do have to say that did kind of frustrate me in this game was that players not making the simple decisions, simple passes and trying to overcomplicate things. Uh, so I know I've spoken a bit about Frey in recent weeks and how impressed I've been with him, but I found in this game, there were so many times where he did some great into the channels to pick up the ball. And instead of just playing it back into Koita or Lueco or whoever was kind of like filling in in the back position to then cross it into the box, he'd then try and beat like three or four players in really tight areas. And it really frustrated me. I've literally noted it down the instant I saw it happen once. And I was like, he can't keep doing this. Someone needs to get onto him. But he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I was just like, recycle the ball, make simple decisions. Like, come on. I know it's easy for sat at home and watching, but... It's like football one and one. If you're in a back in a tight corner and the guy behind you's got way more space to then put in a cross, you just give them the ball back. Don't try and beat three or four players because you're going to lose the ball eventually. And I saw a bit of it last night in the Club Bridge game against Leuven, where a couple of times, I think it was for Leuven, a player would have it in the middle of the park and one of their fullbacks would be bombing on down the wing, have so much space, but they decide, no, that's too simple. I'm going to complicate things. I'm going to turn inside and try and like find a little fiddly pass which just doesn't work. So I noticed it a lot this weekend. I felt like I had to get it off my chest. Players overcomplicating things way too much when actually simple passes, that's what the best teams do. Like simple passes, create the space. Um, so yeah, hopefully for Beveren's sake, Frey will learn from that. And I'm sure they'll talk about that on the training ground afterwards. Anyway, that's my rant over. Yoris, do you have any more stats for us? Well, Nogniakers saved his last four penalties against him. I, I did a little more digging. It's not the only four that he got against him. So there he got six penalties against him this season and he saved four. Still a very good record, but uh, the first two did go in Van Aken and Nemecha, which is no surprise, I guess. Then on the other hand, his former team, Genk, had three penalties against them in the, in the last two games and none were stopped. Of 
course, there's no blaming there. Um, yeah, it's always a hit or miss and it's very difficult for a goalkeeper. But it would have been nice to be able to put Jackers in goal for just half a minute spread over these games to disallow Ostende and Beersjot a few goals. I'm going to move on to a completely different thing again, which is Mbaye Leia. We've been talking about him. He did well in the beginning, but uh, and he won four, his first four games in charge of Standard. Not, the, uh, not with the best kind of football, but now they did not win in the next five. So out of his nine games, they also still only won four. And yeah, they're still in 10th position. Of course, that's uh, I will touch on that. That is still in the peloton, fighting for all kinds of spots uh, between the third and the 11th place. There's still uh, only four points separating, or again, only third, uh, four points separating third place with 11th place at the six games of the end. So we are getting to the end, but it's still very much unpredictable. Every team inside that can finish anywhere there and even a bit below. Also, I would even put second place Antwerp. They do look safe for uh, getting their playoff one spot. But they still have a lot of games with teams in this peloton left. So even for them, playoff one does not seem to be completely certain yet. Especially in the weird season we are having, maybe they will have a complete drop of form or some other teams will have a crazy good form in, the, in these last games. So these forms are still swinging everywhere and I, I wouldn't bet on anymore who will get into the, this top four or top eight anymore. It's just crazy how it all it looked a bit um, separated a few weeks ago but now everything has come together because the teams that seem to have lost track now won against the teams that were still in the mix so everything is closing down again and yeah will be interesting to see how that develops i quite like your use of the word peloton it, <laughs> it, it does just remind me of kind of like we're coming into the bunch sprint at the end of the race really aren't we the end of like a cycling race and any of them, any of the sprinters could win, could get through and win it. But who knows? Like, it's so up in the air. Teams are going to crash. People are going to fall off. Like, it's just, yeah, six games to go and win on the wiser, to be honest. You, you just have to throw in a, a cycling metaphor sometimes because we're still talking about the Belgian league. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can't hurt. exactly. I just want to pick up, obviously, you already spoke about Mbailier, and I feel like we should kind of mention what happened in that game against against Zulta, where they Zulta wore their white home kits for the first half. And in the second half, they came back out in their bright green fluorescent away kits. And <laughs> I think, Scott, you said it on our chat. You were like, they needed to use it to get, to kind of like turn around, get the fo- the fire into Bruno. And it certainly worked. His, um, his second goal was fantastic. It was such a good finish. And two goals from him again. I'm going to claim that. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah, no, I just thought it was... I, I didn't really... I I was watching the game and at halftime when the teams came back out, I was like, something's different about this game and I can't quite put my like my head around it or my finger on it. What has happened? And then suddenly it was like, oh, they changed kits and it worked. So interesting mind games being played there. Let's move on. I think we probably kind of need to look at the fallout in terms of fans. So I've kind of noticed that this weekend in particular seems to have... We're kind of getting... I guess what is like a repercussion of fans not being able to be in the stadium and voice their anger and concern at performances. So we had protesters outside the ground at Musclon. No surprise after that game. We had protesters, if what I read is correct, outside the ground at Genk. And we also had Shalawa fans who <laughs> were so disappointed that they put a massive padlock around the car park where the players' cars were. So when the team got back from Beverly and they couldn't get into the car park to get in their cars to drive home. 
So safe to say the fans <laughs> have not been happy. And I guess when it comes to Muscon, it's kind of hard to blame them after a performance like that. Yeah, I think it must be it must be very, very difficult to be a Muscron fan at the moment. Pretty excruciating stuff. Not a lot of good stuff to hold on to. I just I just wonder where they've kind of been almost, you know. I mean, they've been so poor that, you know, I would have expected to have seen maybe demonstrations a little bit earlier. Charleroi one's odd. Um, that, that that's kind of odd. That's that's an odd one. The Ghent one's quite an interesting one because as we were talking last week, they, they, there's been such a kind of drop off and and form and and my favourite word this week, efficiency. That I, I can completely understand that one. The good thing about the Ghent demonstration, I think, was that the club did have the fans inside very very quickly to have a, an open conversation with them, which is good to see because sometimes in these situations there tends to be a disconnect. Um, so to see uh, the Genk hierarchy come out and say, okay, come on in, let's have a conversation about this is is a very mature way of actually handling it, I think. Um, so that was a, a good, positive, constructive sign. It's interesting though, isn't it? Um, that yeah, because nobody's able to get into a game at the moment, that it's your only way of really expressing your, your frustration at, at at things and it's just kind of odd odd that it's kind of come to that that that's the only way you can do it effectively now yeah and it's strange that it all seemed to happen this weekend as well it's like everyone just decided that this weekend we're we're slightly annoyed while we're on Genk I feel like I'm sorry Josh we do have to talk about Vandenberg's goal because I just feel like we're missing a massive opportunity to talk about one of the most ridiculous goals most people have seen it. I'm sure you must have seen it. Uh, if you're listening to us, I'm sure you'd have seen it. We shared it on our, our Twitter as well, I think, uh, along with the Beveren goal. Yeah, a brilliant, brilliant goal. Um, we should mention as well the goal celebration, which was almost yes. equally as good. Yes. <laughs> the goal celebration. I even prefer the celebration. I found it hilarious. Just the little, he's doing like the, um, the worm or whatever it's called. Like, amazing. <laughs> From one Van Den to another Van Den. So it looks like there has been a meeting within Genk and Van den Brom has kind of been given the backing for at least the next game. But yeah, I think obviously that's post what the, the fans have been unhappy. And again, without the fans being in the stadium, even then I feel like if you are the Genk hierarchy, you knew things were simmering and there was, there's been some like discontent with what's going on because it was another poor performance this weekend that's what's what's keeping him in the job it wasn't a poor performance unfortunately they lost but it was a the best performance in weeks they just that the word that scott was referring to efficiency that's what cost them i uh, think um you'll be able to tell us a bit more about this Joris. my perception of it is that the obviously the genk fans are the genkies are split about how they feel about van den brom but it seems as well i think he, he must still have at the moment anyway uh, the kind of the the support the core support of of kind of key players in the squad uh, at the moment that must be another factor. Um, yeah. But I think regardless of 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 that, I think he does he does need some results now before the end of the season, doesn't he? I think just to to take the pressure off him, that's for sure. Yeah, that the efficiency and that like the players they really kept on fighting even when they were nil two downing. It was. Like, there was only five minutes left to play. They still went for it. They got that consolation goal. Fortunately, it stayed at a consolation goal. Well, in this set, like they had plenty of chances. So they, yeah, it's just also a matter of form of the players hitting the bar. McKenzie just like even if he would have whistled to the ball, the ball would have gone in, but he didn't. So yeah, it's funny, and, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, I was just going to say it's it's not, it's not going to get any easier because it's shallower away next, isn't it? 
Yeah, I fear a bit. Like as I was telling you guys, it was probably, in my opinion, the the easiest game to come. Of course, there's also still games against uh, Sintrana and Circler. We are bottom teams, but by the end of the season, yeah, that that these are not the easy games at the end of the season. And well, you can see it see it in both ways. Of course, uh, is, there's also the, all the other games are against Leuven, Antwerp, and Standard, I believe. So yeah. These are the, the games that, that will matter the most, obviously. You can see it as a glass half full so that they can they still have everything in their own hands, but also I'll in the I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm turning it to the half uh, empty glass uh, view <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, just because of the form of yeah, and like I don't know, we need points quickly. Yeah, no, I think kind of what you're saying, and I think it kind of harkens back to what you said earlier, Yoris, that like so tight in that peloton, as you called it, that like every team has something to play for, like maybe apart from the team at the top of the table, like, but even then they'll still play like they're the best team. So they're still like difficult to play against. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. This this just, it's going to be difficult um, for Genk and that game against Shadowwise on Friday night. So a nice early way to spoil or make your weekend, depending on the result. Let's have a little look back to last week's Europa League matches. Definitely some interesting stuff to get into here. Obviously, we had a very, very early kickoff with Club Rouge playing Kiev in the freezing cold. And they got a 1-1 draw despite their depleted side, having to use the club next stuff and all that sort of stuff. Just quickly looking at this one, guys. I think that's a fantastic result for them, given who they were missing. and. I think we all agree that we fully expect them to make it through to the next round. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you need decent performance. It wasn't spectacular at all, at all, but well, it was enough and it was a decent result. And I don't know if we would have expected more in this these cold circumstances and given the, the COVID cases. So yeah, they'll be happy with that result. Yeah, definitely. And if they defend like they did against um, Leuven on Monday night, they should be well in for the next round. They were absolutely fantastic in that game. Uh, Clinton Matter as well, special shout out to his goal. I don't know what he was doing, why he was that far out the pitch, but yeah, he won't get that fantastic little lob. Then we had probably the most entertaining game in the whole competition from last week, which lucky Ooh. us. Um, well, I'm not so sure. There were plenty <laughs> of goals and plenty of interesting games. That that's nah. a false statement. You got to be a home. You got to be home. Home on this one. It's got. It's all about us. It's all about our games. Yeah. So we obviously, yeah, we had seven goals. Rangers beat Antwerp for three. Before I hand over to you guys, if anyone's listening to BT Sport, oh, that was painful to listen to. To the point, I thought they were actually. I know he didn't have a good game, but I thought they were incredibly disrespectful to Berenvand as a professional footballer. I'm pretty sure at one point they just called him ut- like utterly useless and stuff like that. And I just think that's... I don't care if you're like obviously going to be slightly biased towards a team to like come out and say that about a player. I think that's just really... Yeah, I just don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. Again, I think they said some stuff. There was other stuff during the game and it was just like, oh give it a rest like it's so clearly you are biased towards one side and i get that like you're going to be slightly biased but at least have some sort of perspective that's not like abdullah is trying to foul everyone and he's a dirty player like basically what they were trying to say about him 
loads yeah, of other I, stuff as well. I think that's a good point, actually, Ben, because there was a couple of things I noted on the commentary that, that I picked up on. That was the, the just some of the factual inaccuracies, uh, some of the commentary team as well. There was, there was some stats they were coming out with, which um, as soon as they were out of their mouth, I was, I was like, well, that's not right. So, you know, basic research hadn't been done either. You know what I mean? So it's worth mentioning that as well. And it's just, yeah, it's just, a, I think it's a general lack of professionalism because some of these people we should highlight are paid quite a lot of money. Um, so, you know, you, you expect better, I suppose, don't you? I'm not looking forward to the second love leg for a commentary point of view. On the game, I did think that Antwerp missed having someone that could run in behind. I think they really... Mm-hmm did need Lam Kalzi to be able to like kind of get in behind. Avenatti scored a great goal, uh, don't get me wrong, but I feel like he needs someone to play off closer and like who can get in behind. Frustrating to see Set get sent off. I think he's been absolutely fantastic in this competition so far. Um, so that's going to be a big loss. I don't know. I think four away goals is a massive kind of mountain to climb for Antwerp going into the second leg. I think they can, they can do it because I like, yeah, they, they, the sides were even and Antwerp are unlike under strength really like they're missing some of their key players so yeah I don't know Scott what do you think I I actually I, I thought for Coutering got his tactics wrong to be honest I, I thought quite early on after about 20-25 minutes when I was watching it I thought no this isn't you know you, you're not setting out right here at all and you haven't seen it yet I think sit, sitting off Rangers was a bit of a mistake Antwerp you know it they're not at their best doing that. I thought they played too passively and almost kind of too pragmatically, I think. They were quite lucky to go in 2-1 up at halftime. The, the the penalty, the Rafailov penalty, was, was a little bit lucky and a little bit soft, but, you know... Was it a penalty? Yes, probably. Um, so they were a little bit lucky there. And then I felt when they came back out, they they, they looked kind of quite happy to sort of sit deep and try and uh, try and hold on to what they had and maybe maybe try and hit Rangers on the break. But they didn't they didn't play with any degree of kind of confidence or decisiveness. And I think Rangers sensed that indecision tactically and felt that there was more for them in the game and uh, kind of fed off that and went for it and actually were rewarded, to be honest. So, yeah, I thought tactically Antwerp, for me, were a bit weak and a bit woolly, couldn't quite sort of make their mind up, and, and Rangers deservedly capitalised on that, actually. You can't you can um, flag up indecision in, in, in what you're doing. They just didn't look entirely comfortable with the way, obviously, they'd been asked to play. That's how I felt kind of watching it. I think it's going to be very difficult for them now because they're going to have to go and do what they didn't do well at home when they when they come to Ibrox on on Thursday, and if it's anything like the first game, it'll it'll be a humdinger. My my head tells me it's gone for them now. Um, I think it's going to be very hard for them to score more than Rangers at home. I think because Rangers will be more on the front foot at home than they were away, and Rangers, to be fair to them, actually looked like they were the home side in the first game. So fair play to them; they they deserve the win. Yeah, and like Rangers even lost their a few of their best strike, better strikers, and still they managed to score four. I don't know if they get some of these players back by, by the next game. Of course, Antwerp Antwerp also gets Slam Kalzi. If that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's always to be seen. But um, <laughs> yeah, that that gives them an asset. But still, it's it's a bit of a worrying sign for the Antwerp defense, and uh, especially with Sex send off, of course, and with some goalie issues potentially lingering with injuries and all as well yeah i think the game they they could have been in a much stronger position if hongler had scored that chance he had when he was clean through on goal yeah that was a massive massive chance so yeah i think i'm with you scott um 
head tells me they probably won't do it. My heart tells me Lam Kalzi is going to do something special. But I think we all agree that we think at least Club Bruges will get through and we can continue a little bit of a European journey with them. But let's jump quickly. We've got a couple of listener questions, actually, which we'll definitely dive into. The first one is from Pitesh Mystery. He was asking a question around So Rare, I believe it's called. If you're not familiar with that, it's like, um, or how do you, it's kind of like a fantasy football card game sort of thing. And it seems that lots of Belgian players have been getting quite popular and people are paying a reasonable amount of money for Belgian players. So off the back of that, he asked us for three underrated young players in the league. Joris, I'm going to go for you first on this one. Who do you think is an underrated young player in the league? The obvious choice is Olivier Descartes, 40 years young. So <laughs> <laughs> to give a more serious answer, and I limited myself a bit to players born off, well, in or after the year 2000 uh, to give at least some kind of random limit. So I would go for Conan Indri from Oeppe. Yeah, his output is a bit disappointing so far, but I still feel like he's an exciting player. Then I uh, also went for another um, more bottom team, a player from Valsan Bevere, Albanese, who has been not great throughout the whole season, but is still very interesting to watch, uh, I feel. And I think, yeah, he definitely is an interesting well, winger or uh, attacking midfielder anyway. And another one where I'm oh, I'm not completely sure if it's, it's really underrated, but Hugo Sique from Standard is uh, having a well, good season since he came into the squad. Uh, yeah, his crosses are, are really great. Well, then to cheat a bit, because I, I figured like CK might not be completely underrated. I can, but he only counts for half. Want, want to mention Anthony Musaba, who is well, obviously not underrated. He's already part from uh, a part of Monaco, but loaned out to Cercle. And he's, he's having a, his, his output still also has to improve. And he's all, with all of these players, like with all young players, I suppose they are not all, consi- all that consistent, but. Um, I, th- I feel like given Circle's form and given how things are going, he's having a quite okay season, although he also is going down a bit with the form that, uh, that they had. But still, like uh, he managed quite some goals and some assists despite everything. Yeah, I think Hugo CK can definitely be considered underrated. I think from outside of Belgium as well, like it's probably not a player many people have heard of. Yeah, no, he's definitely one. I was trying to think earlier, I think you've kind of hit kind of the main ones especially underweight because obviously like known players like the Ketela and other guys like that like we all know about Scott have you got any other name to chuck into the mix underrated players for the the the, the so rare generation uh, am I right in thinking guys it's like a digital top trumps <laughs> I think yeah it's like from I had a little look at it just to kind of gauge so we could kind of answer this question better than just like making it up it's kind of like you get or you pay for cards, and it's like fantasy football, so they get points per games. All right. And okay. then you compete in yeah. kind of like competitions and that off the back of it. So, okay. yeah, I guess if you had someone like Noah Lang, you'd be doing quite well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the first thing that kind of sprung to mind. Okay, so I've got four. Yeah, I've been asked for three, but I'll give you four because I just feel like spoiling you. So I'll go for Mayoshi, 23-year-old uh, Japanese midfielder at Antwerp. Christian Torsved, who is pretty well known, but it's worth remembering he's still only 21, 21 21-year-old Norwegian midfielder at Genk. 
Nikos Kainergios, 22-year-old Greek midfielder who can also play as a striker if Frankie uh, Dury's in the mood at uh, Zolta Varagam. Um, he's been a bit of a surprise the few times he's played. And the, the fourth one, the bonus one I'll throw in there is Simon Vogt, 21-year-old defender at Mechelen. He has a lot of potential and I would say he's an underrated young player. Yeah, it's, there's so many, aren't there, when you kind of extend it out. So I'll I'll take my three, which aren't including some of the guys that you said, obviously. So I really like uh, Kamal Sowa, on loan midfielder uh, from Leicester. He's uh, playing for OH Leuven. Um, he was on loan at them last season as well uh, in the B League, having a fantastic season so far this year. Eight goals uh, in the Pro League. Big fan of him. Uh, I've quite liked Habib Gay from Kortrijk, 21-year-olds as well. Uh, five goals so far this season. Uh, he's had some really, really kind of interesting games. And then I thought I'd go for an East End player, Yeli Batai, 21 year old, uh, plays kind of like as a fullback, wingback for uh, East End. So, yeah, I hope those help you out. Yoris, I'm going to go to you on this one because I feel like you have maybe like a wider insight. Why don't more sides sign players from 1B? Well, I guess there's always this thing that it's difficult because there's always going to be agents involved and as we as we're seeing with football leagues a series of um inter of articles about the uh, and how they got in there to their situation in the at least in an unethical way and maybe an illegal that has to be seen but at least in a very unethical way how agents really use that club yeah, i fear that also goes on at a probably at a hopefully as well as well on a lower level uh, with of smaller teams, of course, a step to a club like Anrecht and all of the bigger teams. Let's put it like that. It's it's always going to be difficult for players out of one B that they want because they want more established players or players out of their own youth, or they will indeed buy someone because they have the money. Generally speaking, but yeah, it's uh, it's also. Yeah, it always has to be seen because there's always this kind of level difference. It's always difficult to predict. Like, for example, Van Zer is doing really well this season um, at Union in, in 1B. He also had a good season two years ago in 1B with Beerschot. But last year in uh, 1A with, with Mechelen, it was a bit on and off. It, was not, it wasn't the most successful spell that he had there. So I guess there's still some kind of difference in, in these leagues. In, obviously, there's some difference in levels. But yeah... I guess too many teams actually indeed, at least from these smaller teams, uh, with all respect, they, they might actually need to look. Uh, I also feel like they should be looking a bit more into the lower leagues, maybe as we've seen. Actually, Albanese also came through the, even if he's still young, he also came back from there. Koita from Beveren as well. Yeah, they actually are kind of doing that. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. I mean, I, I think there's a bit of a snobbery around it as well. Like there is not a lot of leagues in, in other countries. It's just that there's that assumption that because it's a, a division down, that the, there must be a step down in standard, which sometimes there is. But I think it's just yeah. I think there's a snobbery issue around it sometimes because there, there is there is actually quite a lot of talent in one B. Everybody knows about Dante Van Zier and the season that uh, Georges Mkhitaryan's had, and we've mentioned uh, young Manfred Ugalde a few times recently there's a couple of players that really really excite me and I think they in in time one of them it's maybe a bit early for him yet but one of them certainly could make the step up now I think player I'd like to highlight is uh, the 25 year old right winger at 
uh, Denza, Yusuf Chaluk. I think he's a really good player. He's got four goals in 16 games, but he's got nine assists. And I have a feeling he's exactly the sort of player who could make that seamless step up. The other one who's worth watching, uh, or has just arrived in 1B, is Koki Saito, the, the young Japanese striker at Lomo. You know, he's he's really, really exciting, I think. Um, so he's he's worth watching and may one day play in, 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 in 1A. But there's there's certainly talent there to be had because I, d- I don't think the gap in qualities is as big between 1A and B in Belgium as it is in some of the other, you know, top to lower divisions in, in, in other countries. Yeah, also you touched on a good point there, like players from Lowell, since they're part of the city group, it won't be easy to get them actually. Um, and there's a few other teams like like that, not only in one B, also in one A. But yeah, that these players already are. They will, probably will be moved around by the their parent clubs or their unofficial parent clubs because I don't think all of them are officially from uh, from City or one of the other teams in the in this group. But from Lommel themselves, still, I don't think. It will be easy to get these players from um, from Lommel for, as a Belgian team. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. That's a good point. I mean, if, if listeners don't know, Lommel are, are owned by the, the City group, who obviously own Manchester City, and a player like Koki Saito, who uh, when he when he signed his contract uh, with with Lommel um, from his club in the J League, the fee was reported to be in the region all in of about two million euros, which is an unbelievable fee, if correct, for a one B side, even if you are bankrolled by the City group. So Koki Saito is a good example of one of the players, young players with tremendous talent who may well find himself playing regularly at Lommel for a for a year or two and developing there before then either you know going going to City or, or somebody else City group would like him to go to develop he won't be quite so freely available so it's a good point that Yoris makes. Yeah absolutely I think kind of we can look back at last year uh, in 1B with Leuven and the Leicester link and kind of how they've been they've been trying to get promoted for ages like the turnover of managers like some of the managers that they've had come in like to seek this promotion and then kind of on that as well like like you were saying Scott about the difference in the standards like you look at Thomas Henry top scorer in the 1B last season one of the top scorers in 1A this season like it can be done and it's all about like player confidence and stuff like that and kind of good scouting good recruitment good system fit because the two sides that have come up, obviously Beershot at the beginning of the season were fantastic. Slightly tailed off now, but that's because they've lost some of their players, which does happen. But yeah, the players that they yeah. lost, like Tissu Dali was there last season with them and he's been fantastic in, in 1A. So yeah, I think like you always said, like teams should definitely look more towards it. It's a really it's a really interesting league. It's an exciting league to watch. Like the games are really exciting. And it kind of leads into our next question, which is from Rob Francis, who I guess he's kind of prematurely asking this, but we all think it's going to happen anyway. Will USG stay up next season? Uh, they obviously haven't been promoted yet, but their win against Salang on the weekend, it's getting closer. So yeah, Scott. Do you think they're going to stay up next season? Yes, I think they will stay up. I think a lot of that will depend on whether they can hold on to Dante Van Zier. But having said that, I think there are other good players there who I think are capable of playing at that level. It's worth mentioning uh, Dante Van Zier's strike partner, uh, Dennis Undav as well. Very decent player who I think could do a job for them. Um, and they also have a really good experienced manager, Union Sancho and Felix Mazu, who has good experience of, of, of the top division as well. So um, I, I see no reason why USG won't, won't do okay should they be promoted. <laughs> it's always difficult to tell, um, I guess, with promotion, promoted sides, it's difficult to predict. But also they certainly have the money to give them a good fighting chance. And well, seeing how they are dominating 1B now, 
in that sense, apart from the money, that's actually the alternative. If they indeed can keep this squad together, I think they might even also profit from the promotion bonus, like uh, both Leuven and Beerschot did this season and uh, they had the first season. On the other hand, they might need to be even more clinical or maybe even cynical at both ends of the pitch. Uh, as we've seen against Anrecht in the Cup, they actually played quite a good game, but they lost 0-5 in the end. So, but okay, that's just one game and against one of the better teams. I also have a good feeling about it. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you guys. And I really, really hope that by the season, again with the season, we will have fans back in, especially for when we get the Brussels derby and stuff like that. Like, it'd be a fantastic occasion to get the fans back in for that. So, yeah, I hope that satisfies everyone's questions. Feel free, as always, we love receiving questions, so please do continue to send them in. Before we round off, let's have a look at the upcoming fixtures. Um, before I run through them all, Joris, which one are you looking forward to this week? I'm going to pick a, a weird one, maybe, uh, of, from an outside view, Sintrada against Europa. Yeah, uh, I picked this one because I feel these teams are the two teams outside of the bottom three that, that still might, if these, if these teams yeah, pick up some more points, they might end up again in the, in the relegation battle. But I feel the winner of this one might be safe uh, if they, especially if Erpe wins, they, they have a two point gap with Sintran already. If they win this one, they will have five, uh, will be five points clear of them and a few more of the others, no matter what, which uh, result will follow in the other games. But at the bottom in five games, yeah, that, that should be enough to keep uh, to be safe. If Sintrada wins this one, well, they're not completely safe, but they're probably, yeah, also they just have to get a few more points and are also not far off from being safe. And they jump ahead of Europa, which is, of course, also very important. No, definitely. That's definitely going to be an interesting one. Scott, what game are you looking forward to? There's a couple, actually. Circle's home game against Everin is a massive one on Saturday. And I'm also looking forward to having a look at uh, Kortrijk against uh, Zulta Varagam because I want to see if uh, Kortrijk can continue, continue their high-efficiency football that I was talking about earlier. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to Standard Liège against Anderlecht. Two teams in desperate need of wins, so hopefully that'll be a good one. Elsewhere, we, as we've already mentioned, spotting Chalois against Genk on the Friday. Following that, Sassé kicks off with Circle against Vaslan, massive game at the bottom. Uh, then we have Oostend against Kevin Mikkelen, Kortrijk against Otavadegem. Sunday starts with Standard Liège against Anderlecht. Beerschot then hosts Mousclon. Ghent hosts Club Bruges. And as you already said, St. Truden against Erpen. And then Monday night, we also have a game, uh, OH Leuven against Royal Antwerp. So yeah, I think that's probably all we have time for on this week's episode of Belgian Football Podcast. Scott and Joris, as always, thank you for joining me. Pleasure. Pleasure as always. Fantastic. Thanks as always, guys. And yeah, so everyone probably knows by now, uh, we have Joseph McDay to thank for our intro and outro music. And we are partnered with Freelance Football Ops. Um, you guys know what they do by now, surely. They find jobs which cover writing, design, video, audio, and generally anything in football media every single week. They'll send you a newsletter every single Monday. Uh, just go to www.freelancefootballops.com or look for them on Twitter. You can speak to them there. And yeah, we'll be back again next week with another episode. Uh, but in the meantime, if you do enjoy listening to the podcast, uh, we'd really appreciate a rating if your podcast app uh, allows you to do so. Uh, if not, please feel free to get in touch with us and give us any feedback, comments, questions. Uh, you can get in touch with us 
on Twitter by tweeting at Belgian Podcast. Uh, if you look for the Belgian Football Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, you can also find us there. Uh, individually, you can find us as well. My Twitter account is at Benjack94. Scott's is at Scott underscore coin. And yours is at yours underscore bet. Alternatively, you can also email us. Uh, we have a Gmail account, which is belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening. And we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. Mm-hmm.